In this week's episode of Non-Native Creative, I am very happy to welcome my friend Luvu Huang to the show. Luvu works in the role of creative director for a variety of different projects, many of which are related to food. While he doesn't call himself a food photographer, you can find his beautiful food photos in international publications from time to time. In this talk, Luvu shared about how he moved from the world of banking to exploring food and photography. He talked about his experiences running a food truck in Tokyo and also described operating a restaurant in Tokyo. The rest the restaurant we discussed in this chat is Basque restaurant Tiki Plaka, a tiny and amazingly delicious spa which has been listed in Tokyo's Michelin Guide for the last two years. Super awesome. Luvu also shared some great travel stories and some wonderful thoughts about what it means to work internationally. Make sure you check him out after you listen on his website at buy.luvu.com or on Instagram at at buyluvu. Enjoy! On this episode of Non-Native Creative, I'm here talking with Luvu. So Luvu has done a lot of internationally minded creative projects here in Tokyo and he's got a lot of travel experience. Uh, he's got a lot of, I think, stories to share about uh, where he's been, the things that he has uh, done in terms of food and photography and even in terms of fashion. Uh, with like, Well, we'll talk more about that later, I guess, a little bit. <laughs> Um, but uh, I'm here to talk to him today about his experiences um, working internationally, um, his thoughts about what has gone well for him uh, and what he hopes to do more of in the future, and also just kind of to share some personal experiences. So thanks very much for coming today. Yeah, appreciate it. Me. Appreciate it. But I was hoping that we could start off today just kind of with a bit of self-introduction. Like All how right. would you, when you introduce yourself to somebody for the first time, what do you usually tell them you do? Oh, uh, yeah. I always have this long pause and I'm like, hmm. Because <laughs> it's actually really difficult to explain what I do because I do so many different things mm -hmm. at once. Um, but pretty much it all comes down to I just play the role of a creative director most of the time. Um, so, like, uh, first and foremost, I do food photography, uh, mainly in Tokyo uh, for magazines around the world that want to feature you know uh, certain restaurants here in the city um, and the rest is food consulting so like helping people with their menu the restaurants and even you know uh, launched uh, two food trucks of my own mm -hmm. uh, in, in recent years and um, and a lot of traveling and eating mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so what would you say kind of sparked your interest in doing these sort of food-related creative works? Well, I've always been interested in this uh, genre. Um, before I moved to Tokyo, I was in Seattle and I was doing photography there. Uh, and before that was banking and that's a whole other story. Uh, but in Seattle, I started photography and then um, uh, with my love of food, I met a lot of people in the food industry and suddenly that photography transitioned into food photography and uh, and then, I mean, and I just, my network grew in that department and I moved here and it ex expanded to Tokyo and here I am, you know. <laughs> cool. Okay. So it was sort of fr from, like you, you mentioned briefly, I won't go into that, like banking with, was a whole different story. And then there yeah. was this kind of radical change mm -hmm. through following this kind of just interest or maybe passion for yeah. food and meeting people and connecting then. Yeah, pretty much. It was mostly just like connecting with people and just going with the flow of life, uh, I felt. 
ever since college, I actually really wanted to get into photography. Uh, just couldn't afford it because camera gear is so expensive. Uh, it's a lot more affordable now, uh, but back then it was actually really expensive. You really have to real, have like some real money to get into it. So, I mean, being in the banking world, I you know made money and that helped me follow certain hobbies and passions that I have. Um, and then yeah, so I picked it up and started shooting, and. I mean, and it turned out, you know, I take good photos, <laughs> I guess. Just magically. <laughs> yeah, magically. Wait, for, in no. your case, though, how long did it take you before you thought, okay, I'm getting pretty good at this? Uh, no. Well, I mean, the thing is, you feel that you are good at that moment. Mm. It's like this self-illusion. Uh, <laughs> That's, that's a very harsh word. I was going to say self-evaluation. No, self-illusion uh-huh. is the right word because... As I grow, each year I look back at my photos, and then and then as years pass, I look at like towards more and more towards the beginning. And I'm like, really, I like this photo. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, so I mean, obviously we evolve and change, and our styles change. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of self-illusion towards mm. the beginning, uh, but it gave me confidence, you know, uh, even though it's not real or not. Um, but uh, now I'm happy where I am, um, you know, but there's always room to grow. Right. So as you were kind of doing that, as you were sort of building those photography skills and building those networks and things, how did you, how did you do that really? Or were there things that just really struck you as you were, as you were making progress and trying to do more of the photography and more of the food stuff? Hmm. Photography wise, it was the travel. The traveling really helped uh, with their with like inspiration and with uh, motivation, because um, through travel you see and discover new things, and because of that you you are evolving and and your taste is evolving. Um, and I think travel was the biggest thing, my biggest impact in my life. Mm-hmm. I remember, I know that uh, like your most recent project, for example, this, uh, the restaurant that you've opened in Tokyo yeah. is Basque-themed right? foods. And that's sort of something that's <laughs> been emerging in Tokyo fairly recently. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I, th- I can only think of one other restaurant that has quite a lot of visibility at this point in time. Yeah. But my understanding is that that's, a, that's kind of a, a point of interest worldwide for food at this point. Yeah, so before... Um, before San Sebastian Basque, um, spe- specifically San Sebastian, the city uh, in the Basque country, um, is very, very well known for food. Whether it's high-end food, creative food, modern food, or you get into you know like the street food uh, for common people and for um, just basic uh, classical food. Uh, it's amazing from top to bottom um, and and I discovered that cuisine for the first time while I was living in Seattle uh, there was this little cute little tiny little restaurant uh, called Chori um, yeah, in downtown Seattle and I like went there like at least once a week loved it small bites amazing flavors you know um, so when I got married, I was like, hey, 
let's have the honeymoon there, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Instead of Hawaii or whatever, I wanted to go eat. Mm-hmm. So we did. So we, we spent a honeymoon there, and I just fell in love with the city and in love with the food even more. And this recent project in Tokyo, I had never thought I was going to do something like this in, in Tokyo. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I love the food. I can cook it. I can, you know, talk about it. But I didn't... I didn't connect it with Tokyo mm-hmm. at all, uh, so it just kind of happenstance. Um, yeah, a lot of different circumstances that led me to that cuisine. Okay, and then in in the process, so there was, but there was a point before you opened the restaurant, uh, the restaurant that you're operating now, where you were doing uh, food trucks that were centered around introducing Vietnamese food to Tokyo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that kind of a segue into doing a restaurant? Or maybe you didn't imagine it at that point at that time? Um, That was a segue from the restaurant, actually. uh, Because I initially wanted to open a a space, Mm -hmm. uh, but I looked at the costs and all that stuff. It was really high. um, And... Uh, after being in Tokyo for a while, you know, I, I realized, oh, there's a lot of food trucks here, and and there is a culture here for food trucks. Um, uh, so I decided, huh, okay, uh, I don't need that much funding to do an actual you know, food truck. So I decided to go that route away from the restaurant, um, and then you know, did the bun mi and the coffee for a while, and then realized that really the Restaurant is the way to go. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Because the, the complications of of operating a food truck is actually uh, quite um, a big hassle, mm-hmm. right? And the cost of rent and all that stuff is basically the same as uh, having a restaurant space. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. I see. So it sounds like there were, of course, you know, financial considerations, and then there were also maybe like logistic uh, challenges. Yes, yes. Was that, do you think, are those kind of general for anybody looking to open a restaurant or a food truck, or was it maybe further uh, enhanced by perhaps rules in Tokyo, or enhanced by the challenges of being a non-native person here? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely enhanced uh, being in Tokyo Mm -hmm. and the rules that they have here. Um, You know, having the self-illusion again <laughs> that um, yeah, I'm just going to fight the system that's how I went into it I was like alright I'm going to do this you know people have this way of doing things and I'm going to go in and figure out my own way um, and you know both have its ups and downs uh, pros and cons um, but at the end you know like the rules in Tokyo pretty much controls all. Uh, one of the biggest hurdles for a food truck operator here is parking space. Right? You need a space to park and sell food. And you're not legally allowed to do that on the street anywhere. You know, Unlike the US, you can just find somewhere and park it and sell food until people kick you out. Uh, so here in Tokyo, you have to have permission from the landowner or whatever, and there's a company that, that offer that service uh, to food truck owners. Um, 
you know, to rent out spaces that they have talked with the landowners and stuff, right? Uh, but then they take a 15% uh, cut, which is pretty big for a food industry because you only come out with, if you're lucky, fit 30%, right, uh, of profit. And they take 15% of the sales, which is even higher than the profit. It could end up being the whole profit. <laughs> Did you notice that there were anything, any barriers or any particular obstacles you encountered because you were maybe not a native person trying to set up a business here? Hmm. Well, I mean, the language barrier is huge. Uh, that alone, you know, would complicate a lot of issues. Um, especially when you're, especially once the business is open, right? And you have all these things that you want to do to market and ex uh, and expand the business and grow it. Um, the language barrier is huge. Um, luckily, I you know I had staff to help me with that stuff. Opening the business was not a problem, right? Is the operation once it's open that was the biggest. Uh, that's when the problem starts coming. Um, like uh, like for me, finding an interested party to do a certain project with me, you know, it's, it, it was really, it wasn't easy, but it was pretty easy, and they're pretty excited with the ideas and stuff like that. Um, and then it came down to uh, expectations, um, uh, and, and a lot of, we spent a lot of time assessing uh, revenue before we even opened, right? So, so there was a lot of talk about numbers and a lot of talk about like what to do, how to do it, blah, blah, blah. Um, and uh, even before we started, right? And then once we did start, if those numbers didn't meet expectations, you know, it was, it was actually really difficult to handle it. Um, and that's where I learned, you know, and, and, and that's where I learned that to set your expectations for long-term goals uh, if you want to start something mm -hmm. uh, and make sure that the, the parties that you work with you know they they understand that as well mm -hmm. right because if they don't it's like after a month they're like hey we're not making any money I'm like hey it's only been a month mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I see. Uh, so was that was that like particularly enhanced being here or do you think that's kind of that's applicable anywhere really hmm I'm not sure. Um, it might be. I feel like it might have been more enhanced here, um, or maybe just the people that I dealt with. Uh, they're not experienced. Um, to me, I felt that they are very experienced in this, in, in running a business. Um, but yeah, I mean, in in other countries, like uh, I talk to uh, potential investors in Hong Kong and stuff, and people who do business out there, you know, they do expect not to make money at first, right? They do plan out for the year, like my current project, and with the investor, he's like, yeah, I'm at least one year we're not going to make any money. I'm like, okay, that's a little too conservative. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's what you should uh, approach. That's how you should approach it. Mm -hmm. uh, expect that. 
Uh, so, so that way you can prepare yourself mentally mm. for um, anything that comes up. I see. Know? So, taking what you learned, I suppose, then from the food truck experience, you were mm. able to apply that to the actual restaurant experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, that and a lot of different things. You know, like we. I mean, there's still things I'm learning now, um, but there's. Like it's the people you work with, the ideas, the execution, the the way that people uh, work and 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 think here. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's also very different too um, from Western mindset. Oh, really? Yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. uh, because they have a process, right? Where I'm like, I'm just gonna go with the flow. <laughs> okay, so a little more spontaneous yeah, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially mm -hmm. in the food truck, you know, you kind of have, you're, you're mobile, you're, it's, it's a mobile business, so you, you kind of have to roll with it, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and my staff is like, you need to have a plan. I'm like, yeah, I did have a plan, but something made it change, so I'm changing with it. If I stick with the plan, we're going to be stuck here with nothing, <laughs> with no customers, right? Uh -huh. So... You found that when you when something would pop up, an unexpected thing would pop up. You'd you'd kind of roll with that punch. Yeah, yeah. You kind of have to, you know, with 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 anything, just even with life, you know. Um, but in my even in my personal life and in my professional life, I feel like uh, there's a lot of pushback for the unexpected. Here specifically. Uh, yeah. Um, so. Yeah, so like if something comes up and 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 we had to change plans like right away, they're like, they're like, why? What what we're we doing? You know, I'm like we just gotta do it. We just gotta change right now, uh, figure it out, and move on. You How know? did you convince uh, people of, of well, that? Or were you able to? Mm, well, they gotten used to it <laughs> after time. Okay. Um, because again, you know, it's a startup business and it's a mobile food. Uh, business so um, so they they started to adapt to that style and then and then they started to come to me with ideas you know uh, and mm -hmm. stuff after time so I, I thought that was great growth on their part um, but towards the beginning man it was really tough they're like it's just really hard to get through to get them to think outside the box. I see. I see. So it was. So there was, like you said earlier, there was a language barrier factor, yeah. but then there was also just kind of an approach, a way of thinking. Yeah, yeah, too. yeah. Mm -hmm. The way of thinking, the way of doing things, you know, and and they want to do it the Japanese way, mm -hmm. and I'm fine with that. Um, but you know, uh, at the same time, I'm thinking, well, we want to be different, right? Uh, we want to bring something special. Mm -hmm. So we got to think differently mm -hmm. right? or else we just become a part of the noise. I see. Right? So do you think that in the end, like the solutions that you arrived at, were they more, were they kind of a compromise or did you tend to kind of push really hard for the thing that you wanted to do in that case or did um, you find a middle ground at all? In the beginning, I pushed hard for what I wanted um, and, then, and then I pushed less, maybe because they adapted. <laughs> right, but uh, but now now I'm actually pushing even less because uh, I'm I mean I've adapted to the Japanese culture here, right, and I've learned their style, I learned the way they think and how they do business, 
and it's really hard to change the people. Um, so there, I, I approach it in two different ways where I either express myself and show that this is what I really want to do and make myself more unique in a way um, or uh, for people who and I do some consulting for people who want to do business here or would partner up with people here and um, and I had to explain to them like hey this is what you have to do when you want to do business here it's these are the barriers that I couldn't even get across get over um, even now uh, so you have to just use these barriers and 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 grow with it, right? Uh, basically, if you want to work with Japanese partners, uh, especially for a large company, you really have to learn their way. Right? Obviously, you coming from a non-Japanese background mm -hmm. and then working with obviously Japanese people in Tokyo, then do you find yourself ever kind of in this weird? I shouldn't say weird, but do you find yourself ever in this sort of in-between position where you're not quite you know your original background but you're not quite this other yeah, thing either. yeah well basically that's how I feel wherever I live um, because I'm an immigrant so even in America is even more so I feel because okay. um, I mean because you know you're not white uh, even though certain areas of the country is very accepting and very open uh, but there's still, you know, a barrier there, you know, uh, maybe not for the people and the, that you're friends with, they don't feel that way, but it's more like an internal struggle of identifying who you are mm -hmm. as a person and your heritage, right? Um, and, and for the longest time when I was growing up in America, I was, I always had this feeling like, huh, I wonder what it's like to go to school and and hang out with my own people in Vietnam um, and experience all that right uh, e even in Japan it's like oh what if I was Japanese and go went to school here that you know just experience that and uh, so to me I couldn't identify who I am uh, here there everywhere even when I go back to Vietnam you know they speak Japanese to me <laughs> Really? Yeah. When you say they, do you mean like Vietnamese, the Vietnamese people, people speak Japanese yeah, to you? Yeah, they speak Japanese to me. Are you, you mean like your family and your friends no, there? No, like the vendors and restaurants and everywhere. Really? Yeah, I walk down the street and they're like, Konnichiwa. I'm like, because I'm they one know? of you. Because they know that you live and work <laughs> no, here? No, no, I don't look Vietnamese, I guess, uh, in a way. They think uh, you look Japanese? Yeah, oh, they think I look Japanese. Wow. Uh, maybe it's the way I dress or whatever, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, but yeah, so, I mean, even in, in the U.S., people couldn't figure out what Asian country I'm from. I see. Right. I uh, see. Even my own people. I go into a Vietnamese restaurant and they're like speaking Vietnamese illy, ill, in an ill manner about something. And they look around and behind me and they're like, oh, he's not Vietnamese. And I just start laughing. Really? <laughs> So, you know, I'm used to that and maybe that's another reason why I feel this way mm -hmm. about myself, this uh, lost identity. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't think that's the case. I think that's a lot of Asian Americans um, that's been, you know, that left their home country and they come here, especially you come here and you see like, you know, everyone getting along and having their own little thing. Uh, of course you feel disconnected, mm -hmm. you know. I see.
So has that sort of, of course, in the food truck that you did, it was, as you said, it was it was presenting Vietnamese coffee. It was presenting banh mi, yeah. like these very... Very Vietnamese things. Right. Um, was, yeah. was that sort of in an out of an interest to introduce something that you felt a strong connection to? Yeah, so, I mean, that was a struggle uh, for me because one, I eat the Vietnamese food here and it's gross. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's gross. What, wait, hang on, when, when you say gross, can you be more specific? Like, it doesn't taste good. <laughs> like, like the flavors are bad? Or the flavors are prepared? way off. Okay. Like, I mean, if you're going to rank it from 1 through 10, right, I'd be like 3, 4. Whoa. Like, okay. the, the, the best I've had is maybe a 5, and that's just, that's to me, that's just passable. Mm -hmm. Right, and this, I mean, I just had a talk with a, a food writer recently about that, the history behind that and how I came to that conclusion. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's another thing. Okay. Uh, anyways, so I wanted to, one, wanted to either advance Vietnamese food and introduce like real flavors to Japanese people here. Uh, so that's one of the reasons why I, I did the banh mi. Um, and at the same time, that's not really my strength. My strength is the current restaurant, mm -hmm. right? Western food. Uh, that's where I spent most of my time in you know, my spare time, like studying, practicing, eating, and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. That's my expertise. Um, so, yeah, so to me, opening the banh mi food truck was, was like, oh, which way do I go, you mm -hmm. know? Um, what was the response to that from, from, like, from, of course, you had a variety of different customers, Japanese yeah. customers and non-Japanese customers, yeah, yeah. but uh, did for, you get a general response? Yeah, for the most part, people liked it, people loved it, um, and uh, it wasn't what, they expected for a banh mi, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I use really expensive ingredients, especially the bread. You know, uh, I have this this like belief that for a sandwich, you have to really go all out on the bread because that's half the sandwich, <laughs> right? If the bread sucks. <laughs> Right? The sandwich <laughs> <Yeah>. sucks. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Right. That's my belief. Well, and I feel like we could have a whole discussion yeah, about the yeah, state of yeah. bread in Japan exactly. as well. Oh, I love the bread here. So. Oh, different yeah. discussion. There you go. Different <laughs> discussion. <laughs> okay. But, yeah, so to me, you know, I, I search everywhere for the, the right baguette uh, and all that. And, and using my travels in Vietnam to pick out certain things that I really loved about each by me shop that I ate at uh, and put it all together to make mine. Uh, so my sandwich was actually a mix of everything that I had in Vietnam and I was, I was pretty proud of it. People liked it. Um, yeah. Mm. But keeping the cost down was really hard. Uh, really, really hard. Mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm. Did you find that people were willing to pay for those ingredients? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I f they did. <laughs> they paid. Yeah, they, they did. Because <laughs> so, um, I've heard one of the one of the um, uh, I shouldn't say criticisms, but one of perhaps the the things that I've heard, particularly about um, 
food from other countries in the U.S., especially uh, Mexican mm. food, for example, mm -hmm. is that people are unwilling to pay more than a few dollars for like a burrito or a taco yeah. because they associate it as being this yeah. kind of street food. Yeah, um, yeah, there's a whole history behind that too. Mm. But you know, the because those those vendors are making food, like the, like Mexicans, Chinese, Vietnamese, you know, Americans, they were making that food to feed themselves, to feed their people, because when they immigrated over, you know, they missed their homeland's food, right, and they can't get anywhere else. So some people started to decided to open restaurants to, you know, for their people. So and then being that it's feeding your own people and you know they don't make that much money, you can't charge a premium, right? Because they don't make enough to, you know, go out and eat all the time. So you have to make it affordable. Um, yeah, so that's, that's why the food there is so cheap, uh, especially the Mexican food trucks and stuff, you know. So, but over here on the other hand, I find it a little expensive and after opening my own, I was like, all right, it's really hard to keep the cost down here because mm -hmm. the ingredients here are so expensive. Hmm. Yeah. Another thing, I guess I've heard too, especially with regard to, specifically with regard to food in Japan and perhaps in contrast to a more Western approach to eating mm -hmm. and dining, is that perhaps in the West where people are willing to drop a lot of money on, you know, the kind of latest, uh, the latest the tastes trends. or the big mm. trendy chef or, the newest in uh, what's the word the the science the special word that they have for like sciencey foods like uh, micro macro uh, molecular molecular gastronomy, gastronomy. yeah mm. so people are willing to go and spend their money on like these molecular gastronomy centric meals where yeah, you get yeah. you know I don't need smoky things I yeah. whatever the na the latest yeah. thing is people will drop their money there oh I think people drop their money here too well I I've mean, heard that it, it while I believe I'm sure I've heard them it's considered in some cases more valuable to do a traditional thing well here yes uh, uh, that perhaps that is more highly valued I should say uh, there while the trends do exist that perhaps yeah. people are more because they're familiar with a, like a, a tradition and they can identify perhaps with that tradition mm -hmm. they're more inclined mm -hmm. to spend money on the known thing yeah um, well true um, I mean, I mean that's that's from a Western standpoint, right? Because uh, to us, they're like doing traditional stuff, but to them, for Japanese, even Vietnamese, Chinese, you know, they're just doing what they know, right? And what they trained for all their life to do. So the modern stuff in the U.S., we have all that because we have it's it's a melting pot, the country. So we have influences from all around the world and chefs there actually travel. They travel to discover new flavors, new anything, ideas, inspiration, you know, meet other chefs, right? Uh, in, in, I noticed that in Japan, a lot of the chefs, I'm not talking about the high-end chefs, I'm talking about like the middle ground chefs. A lot of them don't travel, even the young chefs haven't traveled much. So to me, they can't bring in new ideas if they haven't experienced it, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, and seeing it online is one thing, but being there and eating it and experience it, it's a, it's a whole nother game. Mm -hmm. um, so is that something that you still try to do whenever possible, is oh, continuing yeah. to travel and try to eat and experience new yeah, places? Yeah, definitely. You know, like I feel at a... I feel in a slump when I don't, when after a certain amount of time when I haven't left the city or the country, 
so yeah, so I need to travel, um, and it it really revitalizes uh, revitalizes me uh, spiritually uh, uh, overall. You know, it's, even if I had bad food, it's just being out there and seeing stuff. You mm -hmm. know, it helps a lot. It helps cleanse your mind. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I see. If all this crazy noise in Tokyo. Uh, Right. Yeah. When you when you do travel, then do you ever have those? Do you ever have moments or experiences where you do you just go, "Oh my gosh, this is a thing I absolutely need to implement in what I'm doing," or this just oh, yeah. taught me something so amazing? All the time, mm. all the time, you know. Um, and I mean, everywhere I go, it's, I I always like keep a note of what I eat. Like my wife always says, like. You don't remember a lot of stuff, but you remember exactly where and when you ate a certain dish. <laughs> right? Priorities. Uh, yeah, <laughs> priorities. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So for me, I don't know for some reason, food memory is very strong. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so yeah. So I I remember a lot of stuff, and you know, two years later, I would be like, oh, I remember I ate this at this place, and they did it this way. I'm gonna. Use that in this new dish mm -hmm. that I'm trying to make, right? right? So, like these, yeah, yeah. And, and I feel like that's how a lot of chefs work when they travel, mm -hmm. uh, and that's why it's very important to travel. Mm -hmm. I think. So it's that sort of like do do your thing, like you know, practice, put it into practice, do that thing for a while, then get out and yeah. sort of absorb, exactly. and then review. Exactly, the constant exactly. process of doing that is mm -hmm. sort of what mm -hmm. produces that evolution. Yeah. And some of the best restaurants in, in Tokyo are, uh, um, you know, I mean, highly rated and highly acclaimed uh, restaurants in Tokyo are the, the chefs who are doing these fusion, I wouldn't say fusion, but, you know, in their own way, mm -hmm. uh, um, taking new experiences and, and making it their own and, mm -hmm. you know, and grow. Right, right. And then... Uh, we spoke a little bit earlier about this too, maybe perhaps, I suppose, another maybe reconnection is maybe a good word. So you've been, it sounds like you've been focusing a lot of your time on food-centric projects, but you initially talked about getting into food and photography. Yeah. And it sounds like you're kind of coming back around to pairing that. Uh, yeah. Or maybe not pairing them together again, but maybe photography is sort of re-entering the picture. Forgive the pun. <laughs> <laughs> photography is kind of coming back into the frame. Sorry. Yeah, there oh, you go. Oh God, <laughs> photography. I'm, I'm gonna stop there. <laughs> but it sounds like, but it sounds like photography is kind of coming back around, and you're you're imp you're now implementing that, uh, given that you're kind of seeing a new perhaps need mm. in the market for it. Yeah. So. So yeah, you know. With all the food stuff I'm doing, you know, uh, people in Tokyo know me as Luvu the food guy, right? So, but I'm like, well, my real core is photography, right? That's where I feel most comfortable. That's another reason why I love to travel is just to snap, you know, street photos of just people living. And, and, uh, and that's, that to me is very inspirational. Uh, but... Yeah, so lately I've been getting back into photography and um, that has to do with a lot of, uh, with the new camera I just bought. So it kind of revitalizes this energy that I have and this love for photos. So I'm, uh, so it gave me a few ideas, you know, like uh, one of the reasons why I, I, I stopped doing photography um, is 
when I started moving here, I, I was doing a lot, but transitioning to the food truck is because I'm doing food truck and the photography business is hard for me to get because one, I don't speak the language and I don't really know how to get clients. And I realized, you know, I did work with a studio and I had to really rely on them to get me clients. And I feel like uh, that's how a lot of photographers work. They work through a studio and you're reliant on that studio to find you work and they take a cut, right? So. I mean, it took me three, four years to make this connection, but I was like, hey, what if I create something to connect the customers and the photographers, mm -hmm. right? A little a platform. So I'm working on something like that right now. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Because mm -hmm. that's something that's sort of, at least in Japan, services that have been existing like Airbnb mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, in, in the U.S. and in other countries are still fairly new at this point in time. Yeah, yeah. Airbnb is what two, three years old here. Mm -hmm. it's super new, and it's taking off like crazy. Um, and yeah, I mean, my my idea is kind of loosely based on that, but for services instead of apartments and homes, it's mm -hmm. uh, you know photography services. Right. Um, so we'll see how that goes. You know, we're working on it, mm -hmm. um, and you know, like I have like there's people coming in all the time too like I remember maybe seven eight years ago I thought hey what if I became a photographer for visitors who wants nice photos who come to Seattle because we get tons of tourism there especially Japanese at the time and you know whenever I travel I give people the camera and they would like chop off my head <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know in the photo I'm like I don't want a photo of me I want a photo of me and the background yeah <laughs> right. right so so I thought hey there might be a need there um so but then that was a long time ago so now it's, it's coming back I guess uh yeah I see I see so so in in aiming to sort of connect people to the things that they need especially yeah. here in Tokyo I mean that's this this is a service in general, kind of an idea in general that that is still emerging of just of of connecting people via an application or yeah, via yeah. the internet, right? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. and it also, which is sort of interesting to me, it, it removes the human contact. It removes the uh, the maybe the awkward conversation from. And by that I mean like it in if I'm a customer searching for someone, if I'm searching for a service. Mm -hmm. I, I don't have to go from website to website or don't have to go physically door to door to yeah. meet with people. I just like look at an app and say, oh, this seems to be exactly what I'm looking for. Yeah. And I can contact that person yeah, yeah. directly and it's quick and yeah. fast and it's like all in my phone. Exactly. But this is still a fairly new idea. Yeah. I mean, and I, sh I shouldn't say a totally new idea, but I mean, in comparison to, mm. oh, sorry, <laughs> but I mean, in comparison to other countries, yeah, um, it is emerging. Yeah, yeah. I think the IT world is emerging in Tokyo in the past what two years. Uh, it's really behind. Um, investors, venture capitalists, uh, see that as a big problem. They're like, I mean, I've read countless articles about Tokyo. Um, you know, it's it's one of the financial capital, I mean, markets, you know, uh, of the world and, and innovation here is, is barely, ex in, you know, in existence. So there's a lot of money here and there's not a lot of creation. 
mm. right? But in the in the past several years, there's been people who've been stepping up. You know, there's like uh, a startup, uh, you know, conventions and you know, tech conventions and all that stuff. It's it's being pushed in a really big way, especially by SoftBank. I see. Right, so. so you kind of have the sense that if you're interested in Asia, if you're interested in like especially Japan or Tokyo mm. in specific, that now would be a good time to yeah, yeah, start definitely. really, really seriously so. exploring. Really think so. Mm. Yeah. I see. So is that kind of what you're aiming to do now? You're seeing this point in time. Yeah. Um, for me, yeah, definitely. You know, uh, I love the food industry. Um, I love food, but it's it's a slow business. Right. If you want to make money, uh, tech is a good way to go. Uh, I'm just gonna test it out and see how it goes, but I'm, I can do both. <laughs> I see. I see. So, like in a in a perfect world, then what would be like your perfect scenario oh, if geez. you could? If well, I mean, I know that's a big question. Yeah. But in yeah. terms of maybe like you, maybe one of the themes of what you've discussed today is the, the mm. ne how necessary it is to think long term. Like in terms of like a long-term maybe vision you have yeah, for yeah. what you'd like to do, is there yeah. something you have in oh, mind? Oh yeah, I mean that's why I moved out here, mm -hmm. actually. Um, it's and and without a long-term goal, I think everyone should have one. If without it, you will lose direction along the way, and and you won't have anything to strive towards, and you won't have anything to be like, hey, what is what I'm doing now gonna take me there, right? So you need that and goal to direct yourself and help you make decisions towards that. So that's, I mean, I've been talking a lot about that a lot lately. Because <laughs> <laughs> people are coming to ask me, you know, um, so. But for me, yeah, I do have a, uh, an end game. And my end game is actually very vague and very big, is that um, I want to have enough money or enough partners with money to help me go into Vietnam and help me change the way people consume there. Consume? Consume food, drinks, alcohol, wine, all that stuff. Is there like a specific way you hope to change it? Not yet, mm. you know? Uh, I mean, and, and in the beginning, the very, very beginning, I thought, oh, I'll go in, I'll uh, partner up and open up a bar, you know, to show people uh, how to drink alcohol because there they're just treating it like Vegas you just get bottle service and getting drunk off of like a bottle of vodka or whiskey or whatever right and for me being being a, I guess you know a lover of cocktails also it's like there's a craft side of that you know it's like every ingredient and all that stuff so I want people to understand why this alcohol they're tasting and drinking and buying is so expensive and so good Right? and how it can be used in other ways versus just mixing it with orange juice and cranberry juice and getting drunk. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> yeah. maybe acknowledging like, okay, yes, maybe drinking is fun. There's the yeah. fun aspect, yeah, but yeah. here's how you can improve your enjoyment yeah, even yeah. more. The experience, right? To me, everything is an experience, you know, and people, when people have a good experience, they learn, they grow from that. Is there any experience that you've had in your in your time that, that you that kind of just really stands out to you is this taught me so much like so is there any experience <laughs> I'm sure there's many yeah. but in terms of something that did that for you Man, that's a loaded question well like, like I, mean, I can think of conversations with people that I've had that just that have just yeah. stuck with me forever 
and that have really deeply inspired me. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, well, the first thing that comes to mind is my uh, the food truck operation. That experience taught me a lot about everything. <laughs> sure. Know? There's sure. business, dealing with people, managing, and, and, and learning the, uh, the Japanese way of doing business and, and maturing as a businessman, I guess. Um, you know, like, like, like recently there's been several people who's been coming to me and asking me, hey, you want to help me with this project and mm -hmm. that project, right? And then I started going off. I was like, all right, who is this person? Giving them, like, asking all these questions and... And, and then telling them, like, all right, before we get started with this, we need to do this, we need to do that. And then I look back, and then I'm like, I've grown. Ah. <laughs> you know, it's like, because before, if you asked me that same question four years ago, I'd be like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Without even thinking about all these things, right? Uh, so now, like, when an opportunity comes up, I'm like, all right, I had to go through the motions and, 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 and think about it, you know, and, and making sure that this is a good project and, and even if it's the right fit for me and that person to work together because just because an opportunity comes up doesn't mean you should take it. Uh, you need to assess uh, the opportunity and the person you're working with because even if it's a good opportunity, we, you start it but you don't match, right? A month in, six months in, the project falls apart, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So. There's a lot of consideration. Right. Um, so would you too. say that much in the way that you described about how when you look over pictures that you took in the past and you thought to yourself, oh. Oh, yeah. That was the same moment. <laughs> I liked that at some point in time. Yeah, Do you find yeah. yourself doing that with opportunities that come to you now? Oh, yeah, definitely. Mm. Like, most definitely, you know. Mm. Um, and, and a lot of times I need to take a step back and be like, I'm just going to let that one go, mm -hmm. you know, because... Uh, there's too many things I want to do. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, there's way too many things I want to do. Right. So. Right. So, but overall, it's it's taking each of those opportunities on a case by case basis. Yes. And about yes. That. Yes. And again, you know, you need uh, back to the point where you have to have the end goal, right? And how is this going to lead you towards that? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So if if what you're doing now doesn't help you in that way. Why are you wasting your time? Why right. are you wasting the other person's time? Why are you wasting the investor's money? You know, uh, so you need to make sure everything fits into your, not fit, but more like align with what you're doing. Mm -hmm. How is it going to help you move mm -hmm. on to the next step towards your goal? Right. 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 Excellent. Thank you so much for yeah, today's yeah, discussion. Yeah. I really appreciate you coming. Thank out. you. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Non-Native Creative. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already so that you never miss an interview. Also, please make sure to stop by the project Patreon at patreon.com slash non-nativecreative. Patrons can get access to Patreon-only discussions, bonus behind-the-scenes media, interview transcripts, and access to patron-only live streams. Your support will help make sure the series can continue to share exciting, interesting stories from creative people working across borders. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.